be rolling. Okay. <clears throat> I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and I'm in Tauranga today. I'm down on the waterfront in the main part of the city. We're right by a playground. It's a lot of activity here. There's people jumping off the wharf, going swimming. I'm here yeah. with Jessie Chang, and you can see in the distance the Tauranga port, which is such a crucial part of the Tauranga economy. We're here today, Jesse, to do a, a kind of a profile That's on right. Tauranga. I'm going to talk to Jared Savage at NZME about the problem with the gangs here in Tauranga because there's been a real escalation in um, violence. And I will be talking to Kerry Willem, who has grown up in Tauranga and just recently the council has proposed to raise rates by more than 12%. I'm interested in knowing how the growth of the population is affecting the city. Yeah, and I want to find out whether this population growth is one of the factors in this increased gang activity. Jared Savage is an investigative journalist for NZME in Tauranga. He's written a lot about gangs, but it's not what he expected to do when he moved back to his hometown. You know, I'd sort of worked in Auckland for a long time, covered a lot of organised crime and sort of methamphetamine and drugs cases up there. And then I moved to Tauranga uh, end of 2016. I thought, OK, I'm not going to be doing so much of that sort of work. And uh, basically the very first time I was having a beer down on the Strand, which is um, in downtown here, and there was about a dozen headhunters cruising past on their on their motorbikes and, and with their GoPros and they were filming it and having a bit of a laugh. And they weren't doing anything wrong, but I was like, OK, that's really interesting. Like, there's groups down here that, you know, are not traditionally Bay of Plenty gangs or motorcycle gangs or ethnic gangs. So Tauranga and the wider Bay of Plenty has had experienced a population growth uh, in the last few years, a very popular place to live now, and that's all sorts of people, young families coming down here, um, but also uh, all sectors of society want to live here as well, and we've seen that with, with gang members. So we've got a new group down here now, the Mongols MC, which is the 501. So they have been living in Australia but deported back here under the Australian Immigration Act, and the Mongols have a reputation internationally as a very aggressive group, and there's definitely been a little bit of rubbing up the wrong way here in recent times, um, and particularly when there was a bit of a, a tit-for-tat sort of gang war between the Mongols and the Mongol mob. So we had a situation where uh, semi-automatic weapons were fired upon a suburban house, and some neighbours told us um, that it was sheer luck that nobody was killed. Uh, we're talking nearly 100 rounds, and that was in retribution for what, what the police believe uh, that a barbershop linked to the Mongols here had been burnt down. And I've been saying that for some time, there will be at some point collateral damage. We've actually seen it, in fact. It hasn't been human life, but it's been businesses. We've lost two businesses because of arson. The Mongols believed that that person who lit the fire was a Mongol mob member. They took it upon themselves to go and turn up to this house, which is linked to the local Mongol mob president here put 100 bullets in and around it. And then later on that sparked another attack where Mongol mob members have driven over to houses in Tapuki where Mongol members were living and they were literally shooting at each other with semi-automatic weapons. These are weapons that, uh, you know, we haven't seen gangs used before. These are high-powered semi-automatic weapons with a range of five to 600 metres. Well, this is daytime. This is, you know, a very aggressive sort of violence which... uh, Anyone could have been caught in the crossfire uh, and seriously hurt or injured. 
And I think that's what's probably different about it. There's always violence in the gang world, but it's often done discreetly. We're hoping to get a lot of the gang leaders and have a hui with them in terms of they need to actually work out their differences, etc., because we can't have armed attacks, uh, drive-by shootings, etc., um, in public, in broad daylight, at night, where innocent members of the public uh, can get shot. Is it all about the meth trade? The police would say that the gangs control the meth trade, and I would hazard a guess to say that, that is exactly what's going on here. There's some sort of dispute behind the scenes around, well, you shouldn't be selling or distributing drugs in our area, like because we do that. So, um, and often gangs can come to an arrangement between different different individual members around those sorts of things. And the population growth, you're saying that, you know, because the place has grown so much that it's drawn all kinds of people, including gangs, but to what extent is it also the fact that Tauranga Port is such a big operation here and there must be some smuggling going on there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we're naive to think that there's not... Um large amounts of drugs coming through the port. Because it's not just gangs that bring in methamphetamine and drugs. It's often transnational organised crime groups from China, Myanmar, Mexico, but they have relationships. So people can bring in the drugs, but you also need a distribution arm to get it out there. You know, there are many examples of this, of very different gangs all across the country being involved in, in, in the meth trade. So if you want to get a large amount of drugs to come in, it's got to come through the port. And there's a lot of drugs being consumed in the Bay of Plenty as well. So rich, poor, white, brown, like a lot of people are using methamphetamine and cocaine down here as well. Um, so people who want to take advantage of that and make money of it, this is an obvious place to, to target. But saying that, there'll be drugs coming in Auckland that are being sold down here. Do you talk to these guys? I mean, how close can you get to them? Yes, without going into revealing sources and things yeah. like that. Like, yeah, you do talk to people on the criminal element or people that they talk to. You know, gang members are people as well and, yeah. and they worry about the, the same sort of things that you and I probably worry about. But um, what, the rise in rates? and <laughs> Maybe not the rise in rates. The school to, that to, our children to, are going to. to depending on... But they, they operate by a different set of rules. A lot of gang members uh, feel like they are outsiders and, and that's why they join That's why they join gangs is that sense of sort of brotherhood um, and shared backgrounds. So as a middle-class white guy I don't I'm not going to join a gang probably no you I, don't identify with no but there'll be a, I can see why a lot of people would want to because of you know their own their, their backgrounds um dysfunctional backgrounds and and you know this is a way of being staunch and, and getting together and um having a common cause I suppose and then out of that comes violence and drugs and, and and things that come with it so it was interesting there was a meeting quite recently wasn't there which um simon bridges was at but also the mongrel mobs pr woman from um hamilton came over louise hutchinson and was out there defending gangs um, you know i come from hawks bay i know all too well the gangs my children grew up and went to school with mongrel mob children I took my son to rugby league and all those practices, picked up gang kids. I know what it's like. I wouldn't be representing the Waikato Mongolmore Kingdom if I thought they were like what I see in Hawke's Bay. But I think it's really hard for people to have any kind of sympathy for them or to see anything but the bad stuff that they do.
yep, I wasn't at that particular meeting, but I saw some of the members of the audience there, and they would have come from a very middle to upper class white background, and they would hate the thought of people intimidating other people and putting drugs into the community and, and all those sorts of things. I asked you, and you can answer or not if you really want to, but I'm not going to believe you, by the way. Why is it that your mongrel mock chapter is growing exponentially in numbers? Why is it that the methamphetamine numbers in Hamilton and the White Caddo are going through the roof and continue to rise and rise? Why is it your leader won't give back the illegal guns he has in the hundreds? I mean, the other thing that happened down here, which everyone immediately assumed was gang-related, was there was a number of people shot and killed, basically, in a close proximity to this. So two men were found dead up at McLaren's Falls. There was a manhunt. It's been a dramatic 24 hours as police zero in on those suspected of Tuesday's double homicide in Bay of Plenty. That particular person fired upon police and there was... Shot, shot dead by police. Meanwhile, a man known to the dead driver was arrested in the South Island, forcing a Christchurch school into lockdown. The body of a young woman was then found at her home a couple of days later. So, And that wasn't gang activity? No. It's, it's, it's important to make that clear. I mean, people involved in that, the, the deceased, were gang members, but it wasn't gang conflict per se. Mm-hmm. So it was a... Uh, and matters are suppressed around that, but my understanding of it was that it was a personal matter which got out of hand. Will it get worse? I think we're going to see more incidents that we saw earlier this year where there's gunfire and um, tit-for-tat retribution. I think we're going to see more of that. What will be really interesting in the next few months and years is sort of how strong some of these Australian groups grow. What people need to realise about them is that they've got a very different mindset um, to their New Zealand counterparts. So these are people that have come back, they've lived their entire lives basically in Australia. They might have been born here um, and have some wider family links here, but they're Australian. They've grown up in an environment there where the rival gangs do not get on over there. If you look at what's happened over in Sydney in particular over the years, very violent weapons, bombings, sort of, you know, fire bombings, things like that. And they have bought that here. Um, so it's almost like these guys have come in, it's like a a new player in the market. Uber's come in and disrupted the taxi uh, industry and these guys have come in and <laughs> interrupted the gang the gang industry. That's NZME's Jared Savage. And just some facts and figures on Tauranga. Stats NZ says there are about 144,000 people living in the city. But in just the last six years, the population has surged by 26% or 30,000 people. And it's not showing any signs of slowing down. Right, and that affects things like schools and traffic and basic infrastructure. Here's what the council is up against. It costs $50,000 for every new house to put in pipes and roading. We live in paradise, but there are some really hellish aspects to it. <laughs> you know, so my husband doesn't even work that far from here and he has to get up at ridiculous o'clock to get to where he works it would be maybe 8k's or something if he gets the timing wrong it can take 50 minutes so welcome to Tauranga. Kerry Willem is a journalist who grew up in a small Bay of Plenty town. I'm visiting her at her Tauranga home where she lives with her family. It's a small city but it's it's, inter- it's a beautiful place to live. Uh, sometimes you will walk down Devonport Road, which is supposedly our main shopping street, 
and there might be, you know, at one one point I counted 19 empty shops. It's not a long street. So sometimes it can feel a bit empty and, uh, you know, maybe a bit dull, but it's an incredible place to live. Yeah, and it's funny that you're talking about empty shops because touting is growing, which is why we've now got issues with infrastructure. Tauranga residents have been warned they may face big rates rises if the city can't find new ways to pay for its rapid growth. Mayor Tembi Powell says the days of borrowing to pay for the needs of the country's fastest growing city are over. We have a city that has is in financial crisis. We've got a housing crisis, we've got growth that hasn't been accounted for and we've got continued growth which is just not go, it's not going to abate in any regard. A global study last year found that Tauranga was the eighth most unaffordable city for housing in the world, ahead of London and San Francisco. The report compared the average household income to the average house price. In Tauranga, that was $68,000 to more than $620,000. You'd have to be a fool to have not seen it coming. So many people that you would speak to would say, Oh, you live in Tauranga, I'd love to live there. Or I've been looking at, um, I've been trying to see if there are any jobs there. Or I've been looking, you know, at real estate and stuff. But for a long time, uh, the the jobs didn't really stack up for people. You know, it was a really okay. big, there used to be um, a thing called $10 Tauranga. So that was, you know, this was considered to be a place where you paid something of a sunshine tax. So you just didn't earn what people earn elsewhere uh, because you were lucky to live here and if you didn't want to do that job there'd be heaps of other people that would you know for not as much as you'd get in a different city and I guess what happened in um, around 2016-2017 is that with the Auckland housing boom the numbers started to fall so that it actually was worth it for people whether they were earning more or not because they were getting so much for their house in Auckland and our real estate was still relatively affordable that people were there were so many stories of people selling their house in uh, Auckland and coming down here and buying two properties buying a home for their family comparable in every way to the one that they left in Auckland Uh, and then buying a rental as well. And then what happened was incredibly quickly uh, the numbers started to rise for our houses. The homes that we were living in suddenly were worth, you know, $50,000 more. And then the next month another $50,000 more. And then suddenly another $100,000 more. They were um, just climbing so quickly. And what was the council kind of doing about this? Were they doing anything? I'm certain they were doing lots of work, but it wasn't noticeable, you know. Um, We had all these families slipping into homelessness uh, because, you know, the flow-on effect of someone's buying a rental property and they're gentrifying it. Tauranga is the heart of the Bay of Plenty, but when it comes to housing, plenty is not a word anyone is using. We're all just trying to chase a place to live. Most families that are renting... Are renting above what they can afford. All just for, you know, somewhere to go home and call home. And then in a lot of cases they were making comments to people saying, well, I want to protect my asset so I'm not going to put tenants in it. I'm just going to have this gentrified right. property sitting there gaining money because mm. they were gaining so much, you know, month on month. <music> 
Edinburgh residents will be stung with a 12.6% rates rise, the mayor says is essential because the fastest growing city in the country has fallen far behind on infrastructure spending. The council's policy committee voted yesterday 6 to 5 for the increase, which is still subject to public consultation. This rates increase, how did we get from, you know, 2-3% every year to now the council is proposing more than 12%. And good on them. They need to do that. We got there because of all the previous councils that didn't step up and put the rates up by an appropriate amount. So every year, or every time that there's an election here, uh, people campaign on no rates rises. I mean, that's just a race to the bottom. They've had ample time now. So firstly, they should have seen it coming, and I believe they did, but um, I believe they were gutless. And, And people vote for them. You know, these people who say, we won't put the rates up at all. Why do Tauranga people vote for this kind of rhetoric, Kerry? So I used to be the um, deputy editor at the local newspaper and part of my job was the letters to the editor and, you know, which is the olden days version of the comments section. And, you know, it was this real litmus test for how people um, were thinking. And at one point we had a new... um, playground being built on the waterfront and it it was going to include the Harry McCleary statues and you know this amazing new playground I just got all these letters like just inundated with letters from people saying but it is taking up some parking spaces Uh, some some people just I guess don't appreciate progress other Mm -hmm. other people genuinely, I think, had begin, begun to view the city as being for older people and that's the way it was and that's the way it should stay. I just would sit there and look at these letters and think, what sort of curmudgeon person begrudges a community a playground? But it said a lot about uh, this new wave of um, people who were, who were either coming home like I have, or they were moving here and bringing their families and um, expecting more of a city. But Kerry Wellen says not all older people think this way. She hopes that Tauranga residents will back the rates rise when it goes to public consultation this week. 12% is so huge. I mean, that's hundreds and hundreds of dollars a year for people. So I appreciate that, but I guess... I hope that people would understand that they've been underpaying for many, many, many years. I guess it just feels like we are really lacking in infrastructure and stuff. So my daughter's school, she's nine. When she started, there were 165 students and there's now 350. That's just just one of the schools around here. You know, they're all bursting at the seams. Things are very old and worn down and we don't have some of the hallmarks of a city of our size like a museum and things. So that's that's some of the ways that greater um, investment in infrastructure would help us, you know, that we could actually move forward. The downside is going to be that it is going to cost most homeowners many hundreds of dollars a year more. Do you think 
they can afford to pay that much? I guess I don't know, but um, I think the average house price here is in the high 600s. And... Yeah, I mean, you, you never know. I have I have seen commentary online from people saying this will be the final straw for us, and that's just devastating to think that. Um, and I guess that's what makes it a brave decision, you know. Mm. That it's not going to be easy. There will be people for whom this is really hard to find that extra money. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang with Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ on Air. Sadly, we need to take a hiatus. Our last podcast for a while will appear on Friday and then we are taking a four-week break. We will all be joining the RNZ news team to help bring you up-to-the-minute news on the COVID-19 situation. In the meantime, you can get your daily podcast fix via the RNZ Coronavirus Podcast. News updates, verified information, lots of voices from around New Zealand sharing their stories and questions answered. Subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Jared Savage and Kerry Wellen. Mā te wā.